Here at BBCT, we are listener-supported. We may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive listeners. Listen at your own discretion. Enjoy. Welcome back, boozers. Hey there, boozers. To episode five. Woo, we've made Woo. it. We're five episodes deep now. <laughs> five deep. Five deep. Just Sounds balls familiar. deep. <laughs> so, as you've probably gathered, we released this episode super late. Quite late. Yeah, we're just, we don't have our <laughs> shit together. Is. That's on me. Jess got a little hurt. I think it was just too much outdoor physical activity <laughs> first off listen in yeah. our old age we're we're not doing well no. um, <laughs> well this is like i don't know we yeah. did we did a lot though over the weekend so we ended up going to up to yosemite this past weekend and one of my best friends she's family so she ended up getting married to her soulmate the love of her life and i love them together so much they're so cute and um it was like all of their family and then it was us so it was just like a big party Mm -hmm. up there and it was beautiful Mm -hmm. and then after the wedding um we ended up going into yosemite we did and we got to see the wonders of the park yeah it was quite beautiful jess ended up crying um i'll I'll call you out first off that all the time Nature. Na- I know. Nature's pretty. It's beautiful. It's the um, only thing that can make me sob. Like a, it was gorgeous. We went through this tunnel and it like, it, it reminded me of Cars. Um, when they... I don't like that movie, so it just ruined it for me. <laughs> no, it, when they're do, they're going on the drive and then they come around the bend and there's that no. waterfall and it's like, okay. and you're like, oh, it's beautiful. That's what it reminded me of. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in Cars right now because we just came through the tunnel and then... There was a huge waterfall, and you could see Half Dome, and it was just... It was a magical experience. It really was. I had a butterfly just... You did. Just land just on Just land right on my finger. That was nice. <laughs> it chose you. I'm fucking Pocahontas, bro. <laughs> I am straight You know up. every rock and tree and creature. I do. So we ended up staying at this gorgeous little bed and breakfast, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to tell you... What it is, because that's our magical slice of heaven, and you, you can't, can't have it. You can't have it. And then we went camping. So after the wedding, we ended up going um, to camp in Yosemite, mm-hmm. and then we came home, and then we went straight to L.A. and went to the Spooky Swabby, which was great. I hate L.A. so much, and it's it. I think the hardest part for me was be, like coming from these beautiful mountain ridges and just being out in the wild and just really enjoying yourself and being one with mother nature and then going to LA. Yeah. Was I, awful. I have a special <laughs> love for LA just cause I spend a, a good part of my life there. Yeah. So I do love it, but I also, this last trip made me realize like why you hate it so mm-hmm. much. And I appreciate LA, but it's definitely not for us. And yeah. it's not, it's, 
I always thought that I would like go back to LA and like move back into you know and, and now I'm like no we're good <laughs> I don't <laughs> well go it's back just there. it's LA's got a lot of stuff to do it's really exciting so we ended up going to this spooky swamp me and I posted a little bit about it on our Instagram and I'm going to post some more pictures about it and I did an IG video so I did a spooky swap me haul and there's a video of everything that we purchased and picked up and I picked up so much a lot of stuff uh but it's like a swap meet, so everything's like very decently priced. One of the ladies was super cool, and she, I wanted to buy this cute little vintage ghost, and you found, I think, a little like pumpkin or something. And she was like, "Oh, you can, you can take the bat tray." Like, yeah. for, it was like fifteen bucks, and she's like, "Take it for ten. And I was like, "Um, we'll think about it because it was, it's big. It's this big like porcelain bat." cookie tray <laughs> and i was like i'll think about it and she goes you know i don't want to take it home take it for five it's fine. just take it just take it i don't want it and then she goes you see that pumpkin bell over there you can have it just take it i don't want what to if take she it. was just giving us like haunted now we have memorabilia now like we have cursed objects in the house and it'll <laughs> it'll make sure like, just just take it just take, take it, it. <laughs> so yeah we ended up getting a bunch of stuff i've never been one for like the whole cleansing thing and using crystals to like open up your you know. Chakra. Oh, I was going to say soul, but yeah, oh. that's probably better. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was super nerdy and like would collect like rocks and stuff. That And I do love like the crystals and stuff because I they're pretty, but I yeah. never I never did the cleansing and st- like, you know what I mean? Yeah. What were those rocks? You know, those like the gray ones with like the di- like you it was like they're broken open with the. Yeah. I, I found one of those on the beach one time and it was like. I had found the lost treasure of Atlantis. It was beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, I bought a cleansing kit. <laughs> I bought a cleansing kit because I was like, there's bad juju. I'm cleansing the fucking just house. Relationships, though. No, I think it's <laughs> I think it's just being here and not being on vacation all the time. <laughs> is what it is. But oh, regardless, I was yeah. like, this is happening. I'm cleaning the house. Um, so I got a cleansing kit. And we're going to see how that works. So I may or may not do a video of my cleansing <laughs> because I need everybody on that journey that with me. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> Tune in. So stay tuned for the cleansing mm. of the juju BBCT, the cleansing. The cleansing. So that was kind of our weekend. And then we kind of came back from the spooky swamp meet and had to like dive right back into work and stuff. Mm. And then just got hurt. So it was hard to record. He couldn't even get out of bed. So it was just a combination of things. And that is why we're putting this episode out so late. I'm actually recording from bed (laughs) right now. He's in the other room, so I don't have to look at him. (laughs) (laughs) Now everything hurts. Everything hurts. (laughs) So let's jump into just where are we drinking from today? We are drinking from Machine Head Brewing Company in Clovis, California. So when we were coming back from Yosemite, we wanted to find a brewery and stop by and try some beers. And we found this brewery. We did. I think we actually stopped here because we were a nervous wreck on the freeway. Yeah, I think we just needed to get out of the car (laughs) and get a beer. Yeah, this was was a long trip. But we also wanted to find a brewery for the Absolutely. And this brewery 
for one, just the atmosphere was fantastic. The artwork for the actual company itself is really cool. It's really pretty. Yeah, I it's like really the artwork. Man, it was just a little summer getaway, is what it seemed like. Yeah, it was very spacious. It was open. The outdoors was cute because I love a good mm. twinkly light or like lighting, and they had good lighting. Uh, and they had gourmet hot dogs. But yeah, dogs, we yeah. we stopped by this place in Clovis, and I didn't even know what Clovis was. I still don't know. Yeah, this um, was from Clovis, California. Yeah. So what I have given to you is which one's the pink? I loved this freaking sour. Yeah. It was so good. I freaking love it. Let's talk about the colors too. Oh my gosh. The color was gorgeous. Beautiful. I I love beer and there's something just the color alone. Awesome. If you can pull off that color and make it just grab your eye. It's like a pink plum kind of mauve color. Yeah. Yeah. And what I liked about it, it almost kind of like it was such a thick color. Like it almost looked like it would be like a hazy, Mm -hmm. but man, yeah, it was just great. So which one's the pink is a 6.3 ABV percentage. It's a plum fruited sour blonde that is just out of this world and perfect for the approaching heat. I loved it. It was, I also uh, tried your beer and mm. you got something different. And I, I liked my beer better than your beer this time, which is weird because sometimes I'll like your beer. Yeah. No. Well, I liked your beer kind of more as well. But this <laughs> one was super good still. So I'm drinking the beret, which is a 6.2 raspberry sour, bursting with tart and succulent raspberries. Fresh berry aromas overwhelm your senses from the very first sip to the last. I liked this one too. This one was more sour. Twas. Than the, yeah. which and one I'm, was pink. The thing with me is like, I just got into sour. So that was, it was good, but. It was a lot for you at first. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot to take in. I loved these beers, so. Yeah. I guess let's hop into it. Let's hop and into it. Let's grab your beers and chairs, boozers. Yeah, that's really sour, but it's so good. I'm being Bougie. I'm being fancy and I'm pouring mine into a cup. I'm fancy old bitch. <laughs> okay. Well, we're doing something a little different today. Jess does not have a story. I do to not. Tell. I've been trying to stand up more than anything. So you get me all day today. I have the stories and Jess is going to just be listening with the rest of you. So I made sure that I didn't tell him anything about what I'm doing. So this is going to be just as a surprise to him as it is to you guys. So your sources for today's story come from crberryauthor.com, thelineup.com, the Ogden news clipping that I found from 1924. Oh. And a 26-minute video on YouTube called The Boy That Was Taken from the Smokies. We're, the Boy That Was Taken from the Smokies. We're doing missing people in national parks today. Ooh, I hear there's quite a bit. So we went to Yosemite and I was inspired to do all the missing people. Okay. So with that, we're going to hop into it. David Polines, an ex-cop who used to work near Yosemite National Park, has been researching the recent events of unexplained disappearances in America's national parks. 
His research includes missing person cases in Crater Lake National Park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and many others. But he's found the largest amount of mysterious vanishings have occurred in Yosemite. According to Polides, most of the disappearances are children between 20 months and 12 years old and the elderly between 74 and 85, suggesting that whoever or whatever is going after the more vulnerable. The cases bear some strange features. For instance, in 95% of cases, bad weather follows the disappearances, washing away footprints and clues and making it impossible to carry out searches. So the weather is in on it. Yeah. The weather's like... Pesky old weather. The accomplice. Yeah. (laughs) The disappearances occur in areas where huckleberries are in abundance. And in a lot of missing children cases, the children are found miles away from where they disappeared and in areas they possibly couldn't get to on their own. Some were found without their shoes, yet their feet aren't scratched or bruised, and some aren't found at all, but their clothes are found as if someone or something had deliberately removed their clothes. What? Mm-hmm. Which I thought, I thought it was super strange about the huckleberries. Like, whatever is taking these children, or like, however these children are going missing, like, there's gotta be huckleberries there like, for them to go missing. That's it's just yeah, so that's weird that these, a lot of these cases have been, you know. There's always like a huckleberry bush involved. Like, or- yeah, like there's always a huckleberry. It's not just like a, pile of huckleberries which makes me think whoever whatever is taking children like love huckleberries so they're just hanging out by the huckleberry bush and they're like oh there's a child (laughs) oh kid (laughs) score huckleberries and a child it's a good day for me nice there's the strange case of 12 year old kenny miller who disappeared in yosemite in 1992 Last seen throwing pebbles into a stream, he was out of his parents' sight for a couple of minutes and then vanished without a trace. After several weeks, his body was found, and some of his clothes were high up on a mountain ridge, 1,400 feet higher than where he was last seen. You said it was 92? Mm-hmm. 92 was like, I feel like that was like those, those were the golden years where your parents didn't even really have a child. Like, <laughs> I remember the 90s, like, my... I, came home when the lights came on and right like that was you know you didn't have like the helicopter parents yeah 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 but you know i mean in the forest i guess it'd be a little different but i don't know because i remember camping like with my family and stuff and we would go to it's a little different because we weren't like (laughs) that was my drink it was a little different because we weren't in like the fort like in yosemite we were camp land on the bay Um, okay but that they would just pretty. let us like ride our bikes around the entire camp and they would stay at camp and they would same. hang out and, w- and we would just, all of us and the cousin, yeah. you would just go. Yeah, we did just the same thing. Just get on your bikes and go. Just get on your bikes and go. But yeah, our thing was like, I don't know, my grandparents would be like, don't, just don't bother anybody. Like leave everybody alone. It wasn't that unheard of for him to be like throwing pebbles at a stream and like just kind of doing his own thing. He's 12, like let the, yeah. let the kid do his own thing. But then okay. out of his parents' sight for a couple minutes and he was gone. Polines also talks about the case of a two-year-old boy who went missing in Ritter, Oregon, near the Umtala Forest. 19 hours after his disappearance, he was found unconscious in a frozen creek bed. But in order to get there, the toddler would have had to run nonstop for 12 miles across two mountain peaks in those 19 hours. Doesn't it seem likely? No. I just, I don't know. One man, Charles McCuller, disappeared in Crater Lake National Park. 
There was very little of him left when he was found. A pair of trousers, socks, and the remains of some underwear. A few bones inside the socks. A bloody tibia inside the trousers. No boots. And strangely enough, the trousers and the belt buckle were undone. Polide says it was like he had been melted down. Oh, okay. So like a normal occurrence. Just a normal. Just just a normal. It happens. People melt. His undamaged skull and a few other small bones were found in the vicinity as well. One of the most puzzling questions about Charles McCullough's death was how did he get to where he was found? He would have had to travel 14 miles over 105 inches of fresh snow in a motor vehicle free zone. The chain of coincidences suggests to some that some kind of creature is snatching people and carrying them away. This is how they end up in areas that they couldn't otherwise get to. This is trippier than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's a little weird just because... Bizarre. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ugh. So, before I get into my next one, Yosemite is 279 miles north of LA, which is about 4 hours and 28 minutes. Hmm. And then it is 768 miles northwest of Snowflake, Arizona, which is what we did our episode on last week, which is about 11 hours and 20 minutes. Hello, Travis Walton. Hello, Travis. And then it is 167 miles east of San Francisco, which is three hours and 14 minutes. So my next one is the infamous case of Dennis Lloyd Martin. On June 14, 1969, Dennis Martin, his nine-year-old brother Douglas, his father Bill, and his grandfather Clyde went camping for Father's Day weekend in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Oh, God, it's something bad happened on Father's Day. The Martin family was accompanied by some family friends with their two young boys. That day, Dennis disappeared without a trace. The Great Smoky Mountains National Park is 522,000 acres. So that's a lot of room for anything to happen. Mm -hmm. Jesus. It was chartered by the United States Congress in 1934 and officially dedicated by President Franklin D. Roosevelt Mm. in 1940. The Martin family had set out for a walk from the Caves Cove campground where they were staying. They moved along Leadbetter Ridge above the left side of Anthony Creek and made their final walk of the day to Russell Field. Russell Field is a grassy clearing in the forest with panoramic views across the Smokies. So it's just this beautiful like meadow clearing yeah. that you can see everything. So and they wanted to go and, you know. Yeah, the Smokies look absolutely stunning. That's got to be our next one. Oh, yeah. I mean, depending on where the story goes, I'll... I'll let you know. The Martins camped for the night and headed out on June 14th for the 90-minute walk east to Spence Field. Late in the afternoon, the boys from the two families were playing a game of hide-and-seek in the grassy area of Spence Field and were planning to sneak up and scare the adults. Douglas and the other two boys went southwest, and then Dennis went northwest towards the Appalachian Trail and disappeared into the forest. A few minutes later, the boys jumped out of the woods, but Dennis was nowhere to be seen. Between three and five minutes had passed without anyone spotting or hearing Dennis. At this point, his father, Bill Martin, began calling out to Dennis. Bill then followed the Appalachian Trail west for about a mile before heading back, and then headed west again, 
this time all the way back to Russell Field, only to return alone. But no sign at all of Dennis was found. When the boy's father was making his journey, the grandfather Clyde made his way back down Anthony Creek to Cades Cove, a distance roughly about 8.5 miles, and reached the ranger station shortly before 8.30 p.m. to summon help. At this point, it began to rain very heavily with a nasty storm. There's that weather. Yep, in common with many other of the disappearances in the national parks. Specialist searchers began looking for Dennis in the following days, and the Green Berets even turned up unexpectedly, but had little or no contact with the core group. The search group increased to around 1,400 people, and around 1,100 helicopters were flown. Wow. I'm That's... not all at the same time. Oh, yeah. No, I just... <laughs> it's what a, what a turnout for a search party. That's... Yeah. Okay. Several more inches of rain washed clues away. In addition to the hordes of people and the weather, it made roads too muddy to travel by vehicle. Helicopters began transporting search crews from Cades Cove to the mountaintop, but fog frequently kept them grounded. Fog as well. Yes. What the shit? So now the helicopters are having a hard time and can't yeah. fly because of the fog. I think the weather took this child. The fog. The fucking fog. <laughs> Pirate just ghosts. Pirate ghosts came and took this kid. Despite all this manpower and two weeks of official searching and unofficial searching until September, nothing was ever found. That's what the fog wants you to think. Uh, the only evidence was a shoe print found by the West Prong, but it was uncertain whether it belonged to Dennis, given all the foot traffic from the searchers. I was going to the say, there's so many kids. God. Well, so and there were so many people looking for this kid yeah. that, and they weren't keeping good track of like who went out searching because they did unofficial searches as yeah, well. Yeah, because so. there's there there was such a big turnout that yeah. Yeah, so, so they couldn't they couldn't indefinitely say that this footprint belonged to Dennis. If I ever go missing, I want five people looking for me, and I want double time. You guys are really just five to really do your best. A few weeks after the disappearance, a family reported to the authorities searching for Dennis that they had heard a scream of what they believed was a young boy. They were hiking in the woods near Rowan's Creek, around seven miles from the spot where he had vanished. They also noticed an quote-unquote unkempt man at the edge of the trees with something over his shoulder. The FBI said that this was impossible and too far away, so they never informed the Martin family and they that never investigated it. Doesn't seem that far away. Seven miles is not that far from it's the spot. It's not that far. No. Bad call, FBI. Yeah. No, not doing your jobs. I would also be a terrible FBI agent because I believe in these things and just And you'd just be like alien. Aliens. Bigfoot, it's aliens ghosts, for it's sure. Everything. Yeah, we heard a weird scream come out of the forest. Bigfoot. <laughs> Told you guys. <laughs> Several years afterwards, an illegal ginseng hunter would come forward claiming that he had found the skull and other remains of a small boy in the same vicinity around Tremont's Big Hollow. Ginseng is a plant. A plant. Or it's a, yeah. I've played Red Dead. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a plant tuber uh, credited with various tonic and medicinal properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Thank you, video games. <laughs> 
However, a detailed search of the area yielded no results so many years after the incident. As the man had feared that he might be arrested for his illegal activity in the area that led him to the discovery. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So he didn't come forward right away because he was like, I'm going to get in trouble. Well, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. He was scared to bring anything forward because he was hunting for plants? Well... Because I guess the hunting of ginseng mm -hmm. is illegal. But I don't yeah, know. That's because a very silly thing. he was he was like, um, I found this skull and like bones, yeah. but like I'm not gonna say anything because what? I was yeah. trying to find a plant. I think one of these <laughs> things outweigh the other by quite a bit. I don't know, just to me. I was just saying. I don't know, it just seems I don't wanna get in trouble. I don't wanna get in trouble, but I found a dead body. <laughs> So a ranger named McCarter said that the skull remains were allegedly found about three to three and a half miles downhill from where Dennis was last seen. What? The Lean Park investigators believe that Dennis got disoriented and perished in the wild. But death could have been caused by falling or drowning or by an animal attack. The family believed Dennis was abducted as there was a road track near the field. A rogue track, like a like a vehicle, or like a like a like a road. Like they're saying, like a not like that, not like a tire track or mm. something. It was like a road. Gotcha. Okay. That was near the field, like a like a back road. Okay. Was, yeah. Pelaines mentions this case of the seven-year-old boy who vanished in the Great Smoky Mountains, and he states, "Those looking for him spotted a man in the bushes carrying something over his shoulder." Soon after, the United States Army Special Forces, or Green Berets as they're known, showed up and mysteriously took over the search, but the boy was never seen again. Oh, God. So this is what A David, man with This some... is what David Polides, Polides, Polides is saying. So Oh, okay. The, the ex-cop. Jonathan Whitcomb, a cryptozoologist author, argues that pterodactyl-like flying creatures might be responsible for the disappearances. Of course. Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> As one does. Yeah. Cryptozoology is the study of hidden or unclassified zoological species or possible species. Love it. So Jonathan Whitcomb says the creatures grab their prey by their clothes, but end up dropping those who slip out of their clothes. And this could explain why sometimes just clothes are found and not bodies, or vice versa. What a theory. A creature might have decided to lose the clothes and go back for the body. In cases where the bodies are found intact, maybe the creatures didn't go back for them or they tried and couldn't find them. So this is what the cryptozoologist is saying. Uh... We did watch that documentary on like Thunderbirds and stuff yeah. though when they were saying like, the, you know, the huge birds and the pterodactyls, like, that they're still out there. So, I don't but know. How I do you mean, feel about this? You know, this is quite the theory. Um, also, it's a fucking pterodactyl. So, I must say no. I don't think that's what happened. But it's a good theory. To each their own. To each their own. So, could this be what happened to Kenny Miller? Is it possible that he was dropped by whatever flew him away? And... Could it be why he was found without some of his clothes and how he managed to end up halfway up a mountain? So where I think this theory is a little out there, I do like it for when people end up like 1,400 feet up on a mountain, like a two-year-old toddler that couldn't get, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. Okay. I don't know. 
So that's just me. Native American legend talks of monsters like the Wendigo with its glowing eyes, yellow fangs, and tendency to stalk the lonely places. And then, of course, there's Bigfoot. This ape-like creature is said to inhabit forests and wildernesses in America, and there have been numerous alleged sightings over the last century. Don't you... You know a Bigfoot guy. You're you're friends with, like, a Bigfoot oh, person. Oh, yeah. Me and Bigfoot are friends. Huh. We were doing tree knocking to each other <laughs> when we went to Yellowstone. We're cool. I yeah. think he might have followed me it actually to was, Yosemite. Yeah, it was quite a trip. Actually, that was a weird experience. I was super excited, but yeah. you were taken aback because you didn't believe in the whole Bigfoot thing uh, until no, I, I feel like you met me. Yeah. Okay. So this is something that I, it took a lot of research for me to find anything on this. Um, and I only found a slight little bit. So, but I thought this was super interesting. There's also the theory that Yosemite and other national parks in America are inhabited by wild humans known as the Seatics or mountain devils. Mountain devils. Yes. So the Seatics were said to have terrorized Native American tribes with their hypnotic powers and superhuman strength. I would absolutely believe that they're like crazy wild folk. Oh yeah, running around these national parks and stuff, and it's not—it's not bonkers to think that maybe there's some people hidden out in these places. But yeah, superpowers. That's what it said. The native, like different Native American tribes, have said that the Seatics used hypnotic powers and superhuman strength. A 1924 newspaper article from Ogden City, Utah, called "The Ogden," by Kelso Wash states that trappers encountered a band of ape men who bombarded their cabin one night. The trappers described the men, and that's in quotes, quote unquote men, as huge in stature and hairy like beasts. So it might just be a gang of Bigfoots. Yeah. George Totsky of the Clowum Indian tribe, if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize, states that the Seatics speak the Clowum language. And are adept at imitating the sounds of birds. Which, this is terrifying to me because there are birds. We watched, or I watched a documentary on birds. And there's a bird that, like, imitates different sounds. Like, um, they would imitate, like, a pig Mm. or a dog barking. They imitated, like, woodwork. Mm. So it sounded like hammering and then they imitated children playing and it sounded exactly <laughs> like children playing like, like and laughing and stuff you've never like, gotten over this bird no this bird's so because i'm like if you're in the woods and then you just hear children playing it could just be this bird imitate so they're saying that the seatics are adept in imitating sounds of birds so yeah. now this is equally as terrifying because where you're thinking you're hearing birds it could be people Ew. Making these yeah. bird noises, okay. so it it's that gross. Way. That's really gross. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that like at it. all. Ugh. Yeah, you're welcome. So you're just like, wow, how the birds are really singing today. And it's just nope. these wild mountain men behind yeah. these trees being like, chirp, chirp, <laughs> chirp. We are clearly not adept in imitating the no. sounds of birds. That'd be fine. <laughs> the Seahitic tribe was last heard of by the Clallam tribe about 15 years prior to 1924. And it was believed by the present native tribes that the Seatics had become extinct, according to George Totsky. 
Totsky says that the Seatics are seven to eight feet tall with hairy bodies like bears. He also says that the sea tanks are great hypnotics and have a great gift of ventriloquism and are said to be able to throw their voices at vast distances. I, I pictured these big hairy monsters with actual dummies. <laughs> with puppets. That's exactly what I pictured when I was when I was researching this and I was like, I'm picturing these yeah. eight foot tall hairy beasts with just like they're just the night of the living dummy. Yeah. And he's just like, Oh, in reality, they're just, they, they're talented. Is They're upset that nobody's seeing this talent trying to make they're, it. I'm just really trying to make it right now. <laughs> the event that sparked Polite's investigation was that of when a couple of concerned park rangers paid him a visit. They told him that an inordinate amount of disappearances were taking place and that the National Park Services was not dealing with it correctly, as in they weren't conducting proper follow-up investigations and weren't tracking the people going missing. One of the most disconcerting things in these cases is the apparent reluctance of the authorities to hand over information about the disappearances to Polides. The National Park Services and the FBI refused to disclose information about several specific cases. And when Polides asked for a list of missing persons in Yosemite, he was initially told that there were no records. That's not true at all. He was told that he would have to front $34,000 in order to get these records. And Show then. Show a little leg, maybe. Oh, Show yeah. No, leg. just kind of shimmy it out a Give little it bit. Up. What are you going to do for me? <laughs> he was also told that if he wanted records for all the national parks, he would have to give $1.4 million. Wow. What? Dicks. So a lot of people speculate that they were telling Polides this to like kind of get him to back off. Mm. And they were saying that, oh, if they told him, you know, you'd have to part with like 34 thousand dollars or wow. 1.4 million he would just be like oh okay well that's too much money and i don't want the record so no. people were thinking that they were telling him that to scare him away and then other people speculate that they were telling him that so that he wouldn't ask for them because they really didn't have the records yeah so there yeah what if this dough like what if he was rolling in dough and he was just like yeah for sure got yeah. it on me right now like what <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't know dicks man that sucks Perhaps whatever creatures now lurk in the American wilderness are the product of a government experiment that went wrong. Maybe they have an agreement with the wild men of the forests, or perhaps the government itself is abducting people for sinister and and unknown purpose. If it's not them, not wild humans, and not pterodactyls or Bigfoot, there's only one other thing it could be. Hmm. Aliens. It's always aliens. (laughs) One of the things... Two that I found pretty interesting was that during the investigation of Dennis Martin, Polides was told that uh, it was the wild men in the mountains in Yosemite. That's kind of what I believe. It might be as crazy as a pterodactyl theory, but I think it's something that kind of more seems real to me. I mean, people are already terrible. I don't think it's crazy to think that maybe, maybe... Maybe there's some well, wild and like the national there. the national parks are so vast. We were told at Yosemite by one of the rangers that Yosemite is as big as the state of Rhode Island. Yeah, and that's huge. That's yeah. so much ground and so much land that like 
it's not all explored. We don't know what's out there. Exactly. So. And I, I feel like if these, you know, they're just kind of kind of like just going over land to make sure that they're constantly moving so they don't get found out. It's possible. Yeah. I don't so, know. I, I, to me, that sounds like the most uh, solid theory. So that is your missing people of the national parks in Yosemite. So That's wild. Yay. That is wild. Huh. I mean, if I was to get lost, I, the national park would not be the, the worst place to get lost. There's worse places, but then I feel like to get lost in a national park and you're not prepared for it. Oh, yeah. That's a nightmare. Okay. So with that, I think it's time to do our uh, animal shout out. Awesome. Yay. I'm ready. Okay. So your animal shout out this week is to Friends of the Animal Community, the F-O-A-C. Yay. They are dedicated to improving the long-term welfare of the shelter animals in their community. Roscoe came over to listen to the, the dog shout out. So Tell me about these animals. The FOAC, Friends of the Animal Community, is a small, local, non-profit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to relieving overcrowding at Shea County Animal Control. Uh, hats off to you <laughs> for even Trying, getting that. Yeah, that was, that? yeah, that was solid. They promote the health of abused and abandoned animals and try to reduce unnecessary euthanasia. And ultimately, their goal is the movement of homeless dogs into permanent loving homes. FOAC also provides assistance in meeting the needs of pets belonging to people in their community. These needs include rehoming a pet whose owner must relinquish it or who can no longer care for it. And in the extreme emergencies, they've also helped with financial assistance for medical issues or boarding and feeding. That's wonderful. I know. They are the only dog rescue group in... (laughs) I'm going to do this again. Shalumnay County that offers this free service. To find out more on how you can help FOAC in placing adoptable pets that would otherwise be euthanized due to overcrowding and or the medical status of the animals, please visit their website at www.foac.us. That's www.foac.us. You can call them at 888-508-1112 or email them at Darlene four paws at msn.com that's d-a-r-l-e-n-e the number four paws at msn.com the friends of the animal community give animals another chance for a better life love it so shalumne county is 96 miles or two hours and 40 minutes northwest of yosemite oh yes so it's like in the general vicinity, I guess. Okay. Last but not least, are you ready for your ghost dog story of the yes. week? Okay. Uh, of course. I had a really hard time finding something. Yeah, like you said. I was struggling and I was looking for anything, ghost animal, ghost dog. And I had such a hard time finding anything in the Yosemite Groveland area. Mm. Um so, the ghost dog story this week is a little different. I'm excited. <laughs> so, this is 
the ghost dog of Twain Hart or Twain Hart County. Where is this? Twain Hart uh, is located in the Shalumne County. Just and rolls it, off the tongue now. Look at that. I know. It's getting better. And it's 102 miles away, uh, northwest of Yosemite, which is two hours and 43 minutes. So it's in that same Shalumne County. Okay. Nice. The ghost tongue of Twain Hart is a former stray shrouded in mystery that has gained local legend status in recent years among people who care for her and see her from time to time in the mountains of Shalumne County. One of the few things people know for certain about the ghost dog of Twain Hart is that she is a Pyrenee mountain dog. Oh. She's super cute. I'll show you a picture of her. According to the American Kennel Club, dogs from the great Pyrenees breed are known for their strength, courage, and vigilance, as well as their zen-like calm and mellow dispositions. They are also known for their skills as escape artists. And you guys just lay around all day. <laughs> oh, they're asleep and they're listening to the, the ghost dog story. Many people know the ghost dog of Twain Hart and some have known her for years. She used to be a homeless dog in the Twain Hart community, but she now has multiple caretakers. Two of the caretakers, Carrie Shock and Maggie Driscoll, have collaborated on a 32-page illustrated book about the wayward canine. Awesome. So they made a little book about her. She's cute. She's famous. I know. She's just a little legend. Love it. A woman by the name of Denise Calavan has groomed dogs for 30 years, and seven of those years being in Twain Hart at Rough House Pet and Salon and Mobile Grooming. What a cute name. Rough House. Rough House. She believes that Ghost Dog was born or raised from a very early age outside Twain Hart by an older man who eventually passed away a few years ago. She can't remember the old man's name, but she remembers grooming his young dog named Roxy, whom she's convinced is the pooch now known as Ghost Dog. The last time Calavan remembers grooming Roxy for the old man was around three and a half to four years ago. Calavan says, Then I saw her two years later. She was roaming. People believe that after the older man's death, the ghost dog was abandoned and escaped, or initially set free. Either way, people began seeing, or believed that they were seeing, the ghost dog up and down the Highway 108 corridor. A man by the name of Jake Fuller was driving west one fall night in 2019, down from the Sonora Pass, when he and his girlfriend Yvonne Meckler saw what looked like the wandering ghost dog. Fuller states, It kind of appears and disappears. It wanders on its own, and it has its own little spirit about it. It's unique. It's always alone. It never had help from anybody. Nobody could get close to it. You get close, and it moves away slowly. The dog has independence and persistence, and it survived on its own. Eventually, Ghost Dog began to hang out in Twain Hart area, where more people began to see her. She was present, always around, but she was also very shy. At first, she would not accept food or contact from humans. She could be seen eating from garbage cans, socializing with other stray dogs, and walking on her own. Sometimes, she would lay down to rest in the road, and people worried that she would be struck by a vehicle. The ghost dog of Twain Hart 
became so popular, she got her own Facebook page where people began exchanging their stories about her. Last summer, some women in Twain Heart were able to get closer to the ghost dog and offer her food from a distance. Ghost dog began to trust the women and they eventually got her to accept a brush and then a collar. The women began coordinating, feeding, walking, and brushing her regularly. They noticed that Ghost Dog appeared to be sick, so they eventually recruited Denise Calavan to help take Ghost Dog to the local veterinarian. The vet determined that Ghost Dog was around five years old and confirmed she was a great Pyrenees breed. The vet tested, spayed, and chipped Ghost Dog, and the women did bake sales to raise funds to care for her. Aww. The vet advised the women that Ghost Dog needed to be on a leash and have a place to stay. In December, Maggie Driscoll and others put several signs around Twain Hart advising motorists, please slow down, Ghost Dog Crossing. These days, to ensure the Ghost Dog's safety, she spends time staying with Shock and Driscoll and a third caretaker. She's kept inside or on a leash when she's outdoors because she can climb fences, just like Jax. He's a little escaped artist, too. like Jax. Several people have stopped to say hello to Ghost Dog while walking or driving. Carrie Shock wants people to understand that she and the other caretakers do not own Ghost Dog. Our biggest thing is that we are not the owners, she said. We know that she had an owner up here at some point. She chose us and the other ladies. What we tell people now is that she's Twain Hart's dog. She considers Twain Hart to be her ranch and we are her flock because that's what the breed does. They guard their flock. Shock emphasized we are her guardians. We are not her owners. Proceeds from the book are going to her. It takes a village to care for her. The history of Ghost Dog is still unknown and a lot about Ghost Dog is still shrouded in mystery. And that keeps the tale interesting. The tale. Yep. Love it. Awesome. So I have a picture of Ghost Dog that I'm going to put up on our Instagram. She's the cutest thing. I absolutely adore her. And these people taking care of her are just awesome. Like Shock said, they're not her owners, so they don't own her, but they just want to make sure that she's taken care of and that she's, um, you know, safe. Like, they don't want her to be ran over by, like, a car or something. So, yeah, so that's the Ghost Dog story of the week. And her name is Ghost Dog. And the little signs that they have, there's a picture of her, them in a post, and it's her next to her sign. And the sign says, I have a home. I'm just chilling. Please drive slow. Awesome. Yeah, so (laughs) she's super cute. I love her. Oh, what a fantastic story. It was different. That was was wonderful. (laughs) Loved it. If you want to learn more about the Dennis Martin case that I covered today, there's a documentary on Amazon Prime and Hulu called Missing 411, and we haven't watched it yet, but it's in our queue, and we are going to watch it. It looks awesome. We look, we watched the trailer for it, and it looks yeah. crazy. So um, you can find those, like I said, on Amazon Prime or Hulu if you want to learn a little more about that. And yeah, that was episode five. <laughs> that was good. Fantastic. All right, You Jeff. did good. That was a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot. Sorry, I couldn't contribute more. <laughs> no, I'm you're broken. good. So, I think it's time for us to say goodbye. So long. Farewell. Farewell.
to you, my friends. Alright. <laughs> Enough of that. The real so. scary thing about this podcast is us singing. Oh my gosh. Terrible. We're enough. We're done. Yeah. Well, thanks for stopping by, boozers, to Barks Brews and a Casket for Two. If you had fun, liked what you heard, and are dying for more, please rate subscribe and check us out on social media we are on all major podcast platforms spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher anchor google Podcasts, pandora iHeartRadio. i can go on and on oh my god we're on all major podcast platforms so check us out rate subscribe leave us a nice little message and follow us on social media and if you didn't have fun guess who i am zach bagelbites zach bagelbites still kidding <clears throat> And still don't sue us. I can't afford you. But come on to our, our podcast one of these times, yeah. Zach. I would like to yell at ghosts with you. Our Instagram <laughs> is at BB underscore CT podcast. Our Facebook page is Barks, Brews, and a Casket for Two. Our email is bbctpodcast at gmail.com. And our website is www.bbctpodcast.com. Calm. Keep your pups close and stay brewed for our next episode. And as always, stay, stay spooky, spooky, boozers. boozers. <laughs>